Good morning, stackers, and welcome to another week. As I noted on our Twitter presence last week, we do not have an actual play episode this week, and that's partly due to the weather that we are having in the Maryland area. It's making life interesting, and so rather than expose Michael and Catherine to driving on roads to come record with us, we chose to instead take a little break and return to the Creation Corner series that I started a couple weeks ago, and that deals, of course, with country creation. And in that special episode, what I did was I talked about using Wikipedia entries on existing current countries in our world here and using them as a foundation for making your own country history and whatever else you want to build into your world. Someone else has already done all that work. And so by going by a template that exists and works, it conveys a lot of information. You can benefit from that and use things to guide you that you may never have thought of on your own. Before we get into it, I do want to share that in the week ahead, one of the things that I'd like to do is spend a little time with Catherine and talk about her experience so far. We're several episodes into the current season. She's had a chance to get into Farron's character and get to know her a little bit and see how she interacts with the rest of the team. I'd like to take some time with her and try and figure out what she thinks. Is she having fun? Is she enjoying the story? Is she enjoying the game? So look for that later in the week. And next Monday, we should be back to our regular actual play goodness. As I said last time, we started to get into the topic of country creation. And this week's episode is going to be a little less structured than usual, because I'm going to be doing some stream of consciousness and some thinking out loud. Again, in an effort to show the process of working through the details to come to something that is usable in-game. In the last episode, I decided to work with the country of Trand, and I'll include a link to that in our show notes, as I did last time. Because Trand is roughly synonymous in my mind with Russia in our world creation process that Thane and I went through, I decided to use Finland as the template, and you can use any country, You don't have to feel like you have to pick a comparable country, but I just chose it because I figured some of the details in the Finland entry on Wikipedia would be of direct application to working through developing the details of Trand. And we went through the categories, and again, those categories were etymology, history, which I'm going to tie together this week, geography, politics, economy, demographics, and culture. So this week... Like I said, I'm going to focus on the etymology and history part, and I chose to tie those two together because they are so closely related. As I said last time, it's really, really difficult to be interested in language and not be interested in history. And so we're going to try and tie those things together and hopefully get some good things out of it. As we go through this process together, I think an added benefit is that when we finally do get to visit the country of Trand in-game, you'll feel like you've been there because we're going to talk through some of the details. Obviously, there's so much more that we can do than my time allows. But we're going to try and pick some highlights and go through those for the next few minutes. So let's get started. Etymology. This is the study of word origins. Not to be confused with entomology, which has to do with studying bugs. Etymology is understanding why we say what we say, where did the things we say come from, it's always been fascinating to me. And as you look at the Finland entry 
and the etymology section, there are some interesting things that are brought out, uh, both where we get the name Finland from, as well as the Finnish name for Finland, or the Finnish people, the Suomi. And so there are lots of things you can do. You can give the people a name for themselves that is completely different from what the rest of the world calls it. I'm going to try and keep it fairly simple in this work. And so what I started thinking about was Trand. Where would the name Trand come from? And just kind of running with ideas, I thought, well, what if it was named for a people? Well, what would the people have been called? So I settled on the name Tsiaur, T-S-I-A-W-R. And what is it with these people? Where did they come from? Who were they? What if they were a populous tribe that lived in the southern end of the country, and over time, as they grew more and more populous, of course, maybe they absorbed neighboring tribes, maybe they took over neighboring tribes through power grabs and that sort of thing. But eventually, as they continue to consolidate power and bring people together, willingly or not, perhaps they unified the lower part of the country. Again, looking at the map on the wiki, the little inset that we have shows a rather stark difference between the northern half and the southern half of the country. The southern half is more temperate looking, kind of green, and the northern half where really where there's a break, uh, where plateaus rise and I can imagine cliffs that lead up to a much more wintry, cold, permanently frosty area of the world. I would expect that there would be quite a bit less population up that way, people who are less inclined to deal with the harshness of living in those conditions. And so the bulk of the country would live down in the southern end. And then it's tempting to think that as they continue to gather power and consolidate and become more and more uniform in the southern end of the country, they would begin to settle into more permanent groupings. And eventually this would lead to more civilized areas, large fortified cities, as people look for safety and security, maybe a little bit of suspicion of the countries south of them. Over time, they might have been called the Tsiao Rand, which in the early Trandan language meant land of the Tsiao, uh, maybe early texts from the region, and so now you have the option of adding texts of your own creation. You know, what was it about Trand? What, what kinds of things did they write about? What was their poetry like? What were their songs like? Uh, so early texts from this region began to show up as Chalrarand, but over time in neighboring Moraga, which would later split to become two separate countries, Moraga and Dunmoraga, maybe they would try and simplify it to sounds that were more common to their own languages. And so it began to morph from Chalrarand to Trand. And so we have a gentle descent from the original language of the Trandons down to Trand. Maybe there's also a river that has the name. Maybe the Chiaur people gave their name to various landmarks. And so there are different things you can do to apply etymology throughout a very specific geographic region of your world. And that really helps to add some richness like we have talked about in the past. Feel free to look at other examples of how people get their names. There's all sorts of resources out there. If you look up any of the countries on Wikipedia, chances are you're going to find an etymology section, and you can use a selection of these to try and come up with your own. 
But you see how in this section, it was necessary to tie history into the process. Where did the name come from? It didn't just pop up out of nowhere. There was a people. The people became a nation. And the nation became civilized. And the civilized people chose a name for themselves. And so as you build this, you're going to see that history and language are intimately intertwined. Speaking of history, if we look at the Finland entry, we'll see that the history section is broken up into several major parts. Again, you could go to any country and use the format that is in Saudi Arabia or Brazil as an example. But again, I chose Finland just because I figured it would give me some advice and some inspiration as I go through this process. And the subsections that are used in that particular article are prehistory, the Swedish era, the Russian Empire era, civil war and early independence, and World War II and after. And what's neat about this is that just by looking at that breakdown in the table of contents section at the top of the article, you get a lot of things that you can think about including in your own country's history. There are some neat things. And if you go down to the prehistory section, you can see a reconstruction of a Stone Age dwelling. Uh, and really, when it comes to prehistory, because the world is just so old, and because prehistory leaves so much to the imagination, you can do just about anything you want, and it'll sound perfectly plausible. Looking at the Stone Age dwelling picture, it looks like an upside-down boat, and it looks like they're using thatching on the roof and rough-hewn logs that are helping to form the structure of the roof. Think about incorporating things like this into the feel of your country. What do the dwellings look like? What does a house look like? I think a common tendency is for every city in the world to look roughly the same. And I've tried throughout the Stack of Dice run to inject a feeling of difference in each of the places the party visits. And I hope that's come through. If it hasn't, please tell me, and I'll be happy to work on improving that. But just think, you know, the further north you go, the smaller and more simple the dwellings will become because resources are fewer, heat is more precious, and so a large spacious house out in the middle of frozen tundra isn't going to make much sense. You want a small place that is going to be easy to maintain, gives you shelter from the elements, and helps keep as much heat in as possible. So when we get to the prehistory of Trand, I see a lot of nomadic life. So before all the civilization, before all the fortified cities, before an established aristocracy and all that stuff that's going to come, what I see is a bunch of small groups that wander from place to place, foraging, hunting, fighting other nomadic tribes for the best resources, perhaps forming alliances, intermarrying, all that good stuff. And then over time, as they get closer and closer to recorded history, they begin maybe making alliances against this tribe over here. And now you start to have enmity, you start to have feuds, raids to take resources from the tribe that has too much. And so this jealous tribe here feels like it's been slighted, that the things that the first tribe has taken were not theirs to have, and so it's a matter of honor to take it back. I mean, we could go all sorts of directions with this. Maybe some tribes fell out of nomadic life very early. They found a place that really worked for them. They didn't have far to go to find fresh water and food and safety from attacks. And so they really held on to a place 
and settle down very quickly. And maybe these became centers that attracted other tribes and drew them out of nomadic life as well. So it wouldn't take long, I would say, for larger urban areas to begin to develop. And then, especially closer to the south, where the border of Trand runs into modern-day Dunmoriga, we might start to see a lot of blending of language and culture as Morrigan traders make their way north and start interacting with these people that are beginning to settle down. And as they come, maybe they are bringing with them writing. I'd like to say that the Tsiaur of Trand are largely illiterate. They rely more on oral tradition to pass history along, to teach. They don't write. But as soon as they come into contact with the Morrigans who have this magical system that allows them to turn sounds into pictures, it doesn't take long for the people of Trand to really see the benefit, where they don't have to remember as much. They can write it down, and that serves as memory. And so they begin to develop their own form of writing, one that can capture the sounds of their own language. But then comes an event that is catastrophic and worldwide, and that is the shattering. In our larger world lore, Thane and I worked together to come up with a general storyline of a world infused with magic, and as things go along, magic becomes more and more used and perhaps abused, eventually leading to the destruction of the gods. And that is an event, a heavenly event, that we have seen glimpses of throughout the game, as the party is now working to reascend the pillars that are broken. But it had ripple effects in the physical world below, to the point of land being broken, of people being plunged into darkness, of civilizations being uprooted, turned against each other. And as the shattering continued for a relatively brief amount of time, but its severity obviously made it feel so much longer. I would say that part of the land connecting Trand to the southern regions dropped off into the sea. And if we look at that map again, we'll see that there's a very narrow neck connecting Trand to modern-day Dunmoriga. And so what happened to the people during this time? Not everyone was destroyed. Not everyone was killed in the Shattering. A lot were, but not everyone. So what was life like during that very dark and forgotten period. Well, I would say that there was a lot of isolation. There was a lot of time where people just didn't interact with each other. They were buried in their caves and hidden places to try and preserve them, to keep them alive. So what would they do in this time? Well, they would tell stories. They would continue to develop their language. And as they slowly, ever so slowly, began to emerge from their hiding places, from their safety, into a world that was now forever changed they would begin to have insecurities about the state of things. With the map completely shaken around, they would need to find new places to find safety and security, to find reliable food, reliable water. And so perhaps one of the first things that the people of Trand did was fortifications along the neck, building up walls along that southern edge that borders with Dunmoriga to provide them with a little layer of extra security And I would say that given probably a lack of tools, they would start out with an earthen wall, a deep ditch on the southern edge, and a large mound of dirt forming an east-west wall that would protect them from incursions from the south. Obviously, there would be gates and things cut into this, but for the most part, they would have guards and patrols to monitor traffic coming through. And then over time, as life began to settle into a new pattern, the Governing structure would develop very quickly. 
people would realize the need for control, for people to watch over the general safety. And so an elected body of officials would arise again. But even this elected body began to realize that they had too much of their own agendas. And so they began to think that it would be best to have a single ruler. Thankfully, Thane and I had done some original work in our wiki at vardalon.fandom.com. And so we had a little bit built up about Trand already, and I'll share some of that with you. As this governing body, which we called the Shenezhni, began to debate, they sought for somebody who could unite them, who could bring them together, and provide a coherent plan to ensure the safety of Trand for future generations. And eventually they settled on a northerner, somebody from that cold and heartless place to the north, he became Estvan I, king over Trand. And coming out of the north, I think he would have seen the benefits of living in the more temperate south. But he had gotten to this position through a lot of deceit, a lot of cunning, a lot of fighting. But with that ruthlessness also came a strong sense of what was best. An ability to cut through wrangling and arguing and take action where action was needed. And through his efforts... Trand became the first organized country in our world history, as we were going through the history of Vardalon. Thane and I thought it'd be neat if Trand was actually the first group of people to unite as an organized country, and so we made Estvan I the first one to do that. Now over time, if you read the entry on the Blood Harvest, you'll find that there was a movement in early Trand called the Gathering Flame. We called it Resht Plemnod. And this was a stirring of national pride as people began to realize that they were unique, that they were the first ones to call themselves a country, a united people, regardless of the differences among them. There was a feeling of pride that began to develop. They began to see, you know what? When we work together, we can really do a lot more than if we are fighting each other. And so as they began to grow as one, Estvan had an idea of instituting a standing army. Now, up to this point, many of the armies that were fielded were very localized. This town had its own little army, and it would fight against the next town. But by building a common, united, standing army, Estvan began to forge the nation. As people from different parts of the country came together, they began to understand each other. They began to understand just how strong the country was, so the army became a symbol not only of might, but also of a coming together. And so through this early idea of bringing together an army that would stay an army, regardless of the situation, Trand really began to become a force in that northwest part of the continent. So of course you can only go so long before an army needs to be pointed at something. And Estvan had ambition, and so he began to make plans to extend the dominion of Trand to the south. That was the only direction they could go reasonably, and poor Moraga was in the way. So over time, he began to make plans, he armed his soldiers, trained them as hard as he could, and then took them on the road. They pressed south into Moraga, and the result of that was the Blood Harvest, a huge war in that western part of the continent, and it just about overwhelmed Moraga. But thanks to some grit on their part, they did fight back, and pushed Trand back into its northern area. During the war, Estvan did shed the title of king, and instead took the title of Sarkov. It was a preemptive title, which means emperor, 
but he did try to state his claim over a much larger part of the world than when he had begun. In the way of things, Estvan did end up dying, and his son Estvan II became Sarkov in his place. But not having the same ambition, not having the same warlike tendencies as his father, he was content to withdraw back to Trand, leaving the country to return to an almost state of isolation. And that's kind of where things stand now. Moraga has long since split into two parts, Moraga and Dunmoraga, and now Dunmoraga is the country, the sovereign nation that shares the border with Trand. There's not a whole lot of love lost between them, because the memory of this war still stands. Lots of memorials that have been built to commemorate the fallen on both sides. But Trand has really been content to settle down behind its now much stronger border wall, and I think that's where I'm going to leave it. There's so much more we could talk about with the history, but basically, again, to go over it, we have the prehistory that we talked about with the nomadic tribes. There was the rise of the Chiaur as they were moving out of illiteracy and through contact with Moriga into literate, civilized people. There was the shattering as the world was disrupted, the imperial phase, and now almost like a, a quiet, expectant phase in the country's history as they are trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And I think that's where we're going to leave it. I know this has been a bit of a ramble. Hopefully it's been entertaining and helpful. And certainly as you go through your own world creation, I sure would love to know what you think. There are so many resources out there for world creation, for coming up with things like this. And I'm sure there are people who can do this way better than I ever could. But I do want to know what you think. If you have time and interest, please do catch us on Twitter and Instagram at stackodice. Or you can email us at stack.o.dice at gmail.com. Did you enjoy this process? Usually I like to do this kind of thing with somebody else. Of course, Thane is off at school, and so we didn't have our usual back and forth. But I sure would love to hear from you. What is your process? What do you go through? How would you have taken this a different way? Please do share that with me. Like I said at the beginning, we are going to get back to our actual play episodes, so hang in there. But I do find a lot of good in these Creation Corner episodes. They help me to think through things, and hopefully they are of benefit to you. And as always, I look forward to seeing you here again next time at Stack of Dice.